Hi, welcome to Outside World Occultism for the week. I'm Katya, and with me are Ni. Hi. F. Hello. And Lavander. Hello. JT is out. Down for the count. Currently, <laughs> they're spacewalking. Ah, uh, I see. Today's episode is going to be about villains in Toho, which it's an interesting topic because there aren't actually all that many, like, villains in Toho. Yeah. There aren't too many people who are, like, truly villainous. And just, like, off the top of my head, I can think of, like, Sega. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many of the final bosses are actually, like, villain villains. There's people who do villainous things, but they end up helping the protagonists, even if it's in a jackass sort of way. <laughs> I think villain has got to be more of a <laughs> attitude question, really. Yeah, like, a lot of the bosses, like, the final bosses in Toho are either really sympathetic or, like, they have sympathetic motivations for doing the things that they're doing and so but they're just not causing that much of a problem yeah it's the kind of setting where Remu beats you up and then you go to the party at the shrine afterwards yeah you don't necessarily immediately become friends with Remu, but you will not get kicked out of her party so unless you're suika then you just immediately are like besties mm. <laughs> probably a few of them wanna look more villainous than they end up being yeah, that's true. That's kind of the point of an incident on some level, but... <laughs> that was kind of dropped along the way, since not a lot of them are actually causing incident just for the sake of it. I feel like Remus started to just branch out and deal with whatever, rather than just, well, what gets categorized as a proper incident. Yeah, since a lot of the things she does deal with are like the yokai kerfuffles that get <laughs> mentioned in for Ben's Crawler and the manga in general yeah yeah but i mean even the main game things aren't necessarily incidents nowadays yeah i think forbidden scrollery is maybe the one case of a toho story where pretty much all of the antagonists are sort of sinister in some way but there's not a lot of antagonists are there yeah the thing about Forbidden Scrollery is that most of them are just like faceless, nameless yokai who are just beginning to form or... Yeah, they don't know how yeah. to be nasty but in a restrained way yet. And they're just being sort of destroyed before they can cause problems on purpose. Yeah, and some of it comes from it being in Kosushu's perspective for a large part. The random yokai that do the most important yokai thing of spooking people are gonna look spooky to those people, but to Remu and Marisa they're just... Like random speed bumps. Yeah, I would say though that I think the fortune teller definitely counts as like a villain villain. The fortune teller counts as a villain, but I don't like talking about the fortune teller because the phantom ruins him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to talk about the fortune teller a little bit, so... Um... <laughs> I don't have a, like a very strong, like, gonna say knee-jerk reaction to him or anything, but I agree that the... I really don't care about the fortune teller as the fortune teller, but oh my god, the fandom reaction to him is just absolutely the worst. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a mess on both sides. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of dumb memes. I don't like it when people unironically use it as fuel for like, oh, Remu's a monster, blah blah blah. Oh, definitely. I, I super agree with you. I've had to explain that a few times in my own day. <laughs> <laughs> Like, first of all, he deserved it. Second of all, he was already dead, so it doesn't count. Like, no harm, no foul there. 
you still have the chance to have the questionable honor of being the first person to bother me about it on Tumblr specifically. Oh god, love, <laughs> you're going to invite this on yourself. I guess I am. Oh, oh so in the game, so when's the last time that we had a villainous character and there's Seija and Sega. Neither of those are the main bosses and the main boss I think is villainous is Atsuho and that's just because she's too much of a dumbass to think about what she's doing. In the fighting games at least like John and Xion's plot was pretty straightforwardly just scamming and robbing people. That's true they are villains not very good at it but they are villains but they're like it's kind of petty. They would have to look up to Team Rocket level shenanigans. They're the kind of villains you'd see <laughs> in a comedy skit. I mean, I do think they are... Yeah, they do cause problems, but it's just... Yeah, but they've definitely got the image down. Yeah, and they are, you know, malicious in a way that isn't for, like, some greater purpose or whatever. They just cause misery because that's what they are, it's what they do. Yeah. Even though the actual plot is kind of petty on their part, it still takes a lot of effort to fix. Yeah. It's not like a footnote in that sense. And then I realized I skipped over Sagame, who is yeah. malicious, malicious and intent towards Gensokyo. But she's not the final boss, is she? Right, she's just stage four. I don't think that was part of the definition. Yeah, I don't think it necessarily has to be the final boss. It just Yeah, and you can be a villain without being the villain of the game. Mm. Yeah, I started off with discussing our favorite bastard, the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, Sega is one of, like, the most awful, nastiest people in Toho, and she's not a, the boss of anything. And yet, on the other hand, Sega doesn't really do much. I feel like Sega isn't a villain, though. She's nasty, but she's not a villain. She's villainous, is the thing. I think it works as an adjective. She's the sort of person that is villainous in the sense anybody who's interacting with her when she's not like hanging around to see her ex's resurrection would understand <laughs> her as a villain. Yeah. But yeah, normally in the context of Toho, she's not. I feel like a lot of characters would count as villainous if they weren't hanging around Reimu, though. Like, not necessarily as cackling masterminds of an evil plot, but I just feel like that's kind of inherent to being a moderately powerful yokai who doesn't actually have any particular reason to not be awful. Yeah, I mean, like, the yokais are gonna yokai, like... Like, Romelia is a villain if you're not looking at her being a gremlin all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she caused problems for the human village on an extraordinarily large scale back in the day. Though, like, Gensokyo does something to, like, kind of downplay it by its very existence, the point of the yokai is to at least display themselves as villains. They mostly do if you're a random human civilian, of course. Mm -hmm. but... I don't feel like you have to act somewhat villainous and the natural purpose of yokai is to be villainous like conflict though they could be playing it up somewhat but you don't have to fulfill your purpose if you deeply desire to be a human kasen is an example of that you don't have to remain the type of being that has to act like a villain forever I'm curious about how true that is for just, like, anyone, just because Kasen, against all odds, actually committed to the bit. Like, she's actually doing the hermit thing for real. 
There is lore of people like Tanuki in the outside world turning into humans, and there's lore of yokai in folklore wanting to become human too, so and becoming human successfully, so I don't know if it's necessarily that big of a stretch. I guess so. Yeah, I think Cousin, especially in her current state, could actually kind of become a real pseudo-hermit. <laughs> She's going to be a real girl. Yeah, a real fake hermit. <laughs> I mean, like, for all intents and purposes, she is a hermit. Like, she knows how to do all the wizardry and stuff. Like, Yeah, but, like, stop being an Oni. Yeah, I guess that kind of explains why most people wouldn't do that, though. Because why would you become a regular old human and get, like, 50 years or so of life? remaining if you're the same age as like what you appear to be when you could just shoot for becoming a hermit or whatever and keep some of the cool yokai benefits and not have to deal with all the human frailties and all that right yeah well the tanuki didn't on accident but i think for a lot of yokai who actually desire to be human it's less about being like metaphysically a human being and more just about integrating into human society in a way that allows them to live peacefully i guess yeah mm. should i go back to villains yeah <laughs> <laughs> i do want to say that i feel like there was this sort of moment in toho where there were a lot of characters who like appeared to be like you thought that they had something nefarious going on or you know they are just like acting like a villain but then it just turns out that they have less nefarious motivations for their actions like Kasen is obviously the prime example of this but I feel like Junko also yeah Junko is definitely the prime example of a villain in Toho not being a villain I think she's like an anti-villain that's still a thing. The character can be a villain for, like, sympathetic reasons. Cakey. And be like, I guess she's kind of affable, but... I think she kind of... She may be a villain in the strictest sense, but she's not villainous. Makes sense. Yeah, like, if she, if she was in a conventional fantasy novel, she would not be, you know, sitting in a tower full of spikes on a <laughs> throne made of, I don't know, ribbed cages. Yeah. But I mean, that is like absolutely her aesthetic, is it not? Like she's got like the black robes, like the very, the very fancy clothes. She's like a very powerful, like evil sorceress, quote unquote. Yeah, she has the aesthetic, but I think that's only like applicable in the Toho context where we can understand that although she looks like this terrifying supernatural judge wizardess, it's Toho, so we were able to recognize there is probably more to her. And then we find that she's uh, just a mom. Yeah, yeah I feel like... Toho doesn't telegraph someone's villainy in their design. Like, if you looked at Sega in a vacuum, you wouldn't think that that's the design of just an evil woman being a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to note that Katya suggested that out of Hikari and Chunko, Chunko is the one who would live in a castle with spikes. Well, I mean, that's true. Hikaria would yeah. live in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> with spikes. <laughs> a couple of good Charlotte posters up on the wall. I think Hakatia is more of like a stud person than a spikes person. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. She's more punk than metal. I like that Junko's metal <laughs> in this example. <laughs> Do you think that Junko for one moment wouldn't listen to metal? <laughs> Junko listens mm. to power metal. 
I will not budge on this. I mean, we can agree to agree. One hundred percent agreement here. I guess the thing I'm getting at is, for me at least, Junko and Kasten are sort of like concurrent, even though Wild and Horned Hermit had been going for like a really long time before that. I feel like Kasten was starting to get more developed as a non-protagonist type character in that sort of time span. Yeah, she had like a lot of like villain coded scenes, but didn't really end up playing a villainous role. Which is a shame. I feel like she would have made a great villain in the I know what is best way. Maybe she still has time to do that though. In the climax of Wild and Horn Hermit, there is, you know, this epic battle against this, like, super powerful evil Oni. But then everything turns out to be fine and Kasen is just chilling. Um, I yeah. don't like the ending of Wild and Horn Hermit much. Mm, it was kind of sad. It didn't make the people who thought that Kasen was super sympathetic happy. It didn't make the people who thought that Kasen was maybe less sympathetic happy. It's just like... Okay. <laughs> a good compromise that makes everyone mad. <laughs> and it made everyone who liked her new design happy, but then got rid of it. Yeah. Mm. It did nothing. Yeah, like, we've talked at length about how we disliked the ending of Wild and Horn Hermit, but I feel like both Junko and Kasen, and also to a lesser extent even Seija and Shinyamaru, are sort of responses to, like, a previous era of Toho villainy. Like, before Double Dealing Character, it was, like, what, like, Yakuren and Miko and Kanako and Suoko, and, like, you know, they're not really villains, they're just new people showing up. Kanako is a villain because she's a captain. The thing with all of them, all of the like religious characters is that you can and some people have taken them as more villainous by like taking their competition for influence thing and interpreting it in a more like dramatic light. But in the end, the whole thing with the competition for influence, if you even want to take it very seriously, was that the differences between them are kind of subtle in the end. They all have different ideas about what would be the best for the people. And none of them are, like, cartoonishly evil. But they can't really influence the people to any particular way. Like, even if Miko won the war for influence, she'd still not be, like, changing much. Insoku is still yokai heaven now, despite how much she's afraid of them. Yeah, they're not exactly going on, like, holy crusades against each other to become the dominant religion or whatever. They're just kind of posting at each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It does have the nice feel of a like local grassroots organizations throwing flyers at each other. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting because we have yeah that thematic art that concludes in hopeless masquerade, and then double dealing character, legacy of lunatic kingdom, wildly beast and weakest creature. Well, the like conflicts in those games are about massive changes happening somewhere and like in Sokyo and then on the moon and then the beast realm we'll skip over hidden star in four seasons <laughs> <laughs> that just does not fit but <laughs> the antagonistic characters are kind in those are kind of like they're more complex yeah they're more complex you couldn't say that Shin Miyamaro is has a single brain cell and that brain cell says revolution mm-hmm. <laughs> but she's definitely more developed than I feel like a lot of actual villains in other media. Yeah, yeah. like she's like she's a pretty nifty little character for being a fairly simple one. Yeah. Shimu Amaru said it's my turn on the revolution. 
<laughs> I think Sage I definitely got a lot of the villain treatment and like most of it was like a relatively nuanced villain mm -hmm. and at the same time like a very cartoonish one. Yeah, like Seija is the personification of like I will cause problems on purpose. <laughs> yeah, that's like her actual in-character personality. I feel like it would be funnier to have Sega going, I will ha cause problems on purpose, because the natural response to that is, no, bad wizard. And what <laughs> is Sega but a bad wizard? <laughs> a lot of the, like, fic about Sega and her villainy tried to play her up as, like, a very serious threat. Well, not a threat for the most part, but as a relatively... I think they did try to play her up as a threat, honestly. Yeah, that too. But the point is that they played her as a pretty serious villain who people actually hate and want to get rid of and all that. There was really nothing in the canon to contradict that for a long time. But then... Yeah, people didn't realize that she's just mostly annoying. Dream War of Osami came out as then and showed that she's chill, not just with everyone else, but also Shinmi. Yeah, everybody's just like, oh, it's just annoyance number 21 out of 6,000. I feel like her power is decreased by being surrounded by a bunch of other idiot yokai. Yeah, earlier we talked about Joan and Xion getting the Team Rocket treatment, right? They are mm. Team Rocket. <laughs> I, I feel like that's honestly more applicable to Seija and Shinyomaru because, like, Seija kind of vanished for a while from the plot, but Shinyomaru, like, lived in a box in Reimu's house. <laughs> and Reimu would just, like, pick her up if she was behaving poorly. <laughs> Bad and naughty inchlings get put in the cricket cage regular to atone for their crimes. <laughs> yes. There was this sort of arc for her in Urban Legend and Limbo. Or no, which one? Yeah, she appears in Urban Legend and Limbo. Activity of Common Flowers. Or... Yeah, and AOCF. The ones that are relevant to her really is AOCF because it reveals that she was kind of... <laughs> replaced by Dream Shin Myomaru and then Dream Shin Myomaru evolves to be more like real Shin Myomaru. Yeah, she just kind of gets body snatched by her dream self, which is also her real self because dream cells are like that. Dreams are reality. That's Toho. Also, she was always a lot more gremlin than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> we initially sort of had this understanding of her as, you know, this person who maybe might have a good heart, but is, like, manipulated into doing, uh... She seems a lot more tragic in Impossible Spell Card and Double Dealing character than she actually is. Yeah. yeah. And then it just turns out, no, she lives for the drama and the chaos and... Chaos, chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really cute that she and Seija did like a little fist bump in Grimoire of Asami. I think they probably were having a spat in Impossible Spell Card about the fact that they lost. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And they were just saying, no, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. No, it's your fault. <laughs> I like really appreciate that like new or old relationship in Usami, but like on some level I can kind of understand, I haven't seen this reaction specifically, but why someone would be kind of annoyed by it, in the sense that everything was kind of building them up as one of the only like actually dramatic relationships in the whole series. I feel like in Toho you inherently sort of have to create your own dramatic relationship. <laughs> yeah. But they were kind of special. Because there's plenty 
few that actually have potential for drama you're just not touching it yeah on the other hand since so many stories about them are kind of 50 percent identical i don't mind if this ends up bringing some more variety in there yeah i'm tired of dramatic station where shin Myomaru ends up emo after realizing she was betrayed time for more messy station where they're fighting about the fact that they can't effectively cause problems on purpose <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I do think that like it was nice that there was that moment of time to have like sort of explore the dramatic aspect of their relationship and maybe sort of like Chimio Mara coming to terms with the fact that she was manipulated. But then, you know, deciding that actually like this rules, like I'm down to keep being like this. I'm down to clown. Mm. <laughs> so like y- you can look at it as not necessarily like a like inversion or subversion of their old relationship, but just like you could definitely look at it as uh, evolution yeah mm-hmm. where she gets over the fact that she was kind of manipulated into the events of double dealing character and fully embraces and then she goes wait actually what i was manipulated into doing kicks ass yeah and just fully embraces <laughs> bastardry yeah i'm glad you made me do this <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you've opened my eyes so to speak i caused problems on accident but now i will cause problems on purpose <laughs> So I think like that's the point at which Sun starts trying to have somewhat more complex villains because before this we have like Utsuho who is a supervillain because she's a supervillain like she's just an idiot with a nuclear bomb and she's like <laughs> how can I like I have all this power and now I'm going to use it when Oliver God is a nuke I feel like the joke of her is just like she is just a little creature she cannot change this. Now, what are the consequences of giving a little creature the power of nuclear fusion? Yeah. <laughs> you could actually make a commentary on humanity with that, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. What happens when you give anyone the nuclear fusion? No, yeah. humans are little creatures too. <laughs> Gotta use this for something. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, obviously noteworthy that Kanako is responsible for Otsuho being like this. Although, I think somewhat unintentionally with, like, the taking over the world part. Yeah, I don't think that was intended. Yeah, I think she just intended, oh, let's use a weird crow as a power source, not, oh, let's yeah. accidentally burn Gensoku to the ground. Yeah, yeah she and... just wanted a shiny bird. <laughs> And I do think that, like, this might actually be an interesting commentary on the unintended consequences of sort of, like, Kanako's, like, you know, she's a businesswoman. Mm. She's the most, like, 1980s shoulder pads businesswoman there is in this in Toho. I'm thinking about Kanako with shoulder pads now. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I think, I don't know if this was an intentional commentary by Zun at the time, but... It might have been. This was around the time where Zun was starting to go, oh, actually, I can make commentaries with this sort of thing. Yeah, so maybe there's something in there about how, like, unfettered capitalism or whatever the results in stuff like maniacs with nuclear bombs who are determined to take over the world or whatever yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe kind of distant but yeah the general concept of kanako like causing this problem because she wanted a shiny bird is kind of like applicable in a more general sense yeah, and I mean, if well, we look at Kanako's grand ambitions, they're to um, sell people of Gensokyo something they're living quite happily without. 
to benefit herself. And like the modern technology would probably be nice people against Sokyo, but things are going quite well without it. So that's a very... Kamiko is attempting to sell mayonnaise and ketchup pre-mixed to Gensokyo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like a Washington tech mogul. Oh, God. Elon Musk is got... Oh no. oh no. <laughs> it's true. It's true, but you shouldn't say it. No one asked for it and she just came in and started convincing people that they needed her stuff. I'm very sorry for comparing Kanako to Elon Musk, but um... <laughs> I mean it's true. She's just got less of a negative impact because she's a god and also she's sitting in her little corner of whatever Gensokyo is supposed to be. I guess in Toho's case, Yukari is the one putting like spying little house robots slash yokai into people's houses. <laughs> yeah, but at least she's open about the fact that she's wiretapping you. <laughs> <laughs> is that better? Does that make her a villain? Yes. Speaking of Yukari, let's talk about Yukari. Yeah. Is Yukari a villain? She probably would count as a villain if it weren't for the fact that basically her entire role is... Like, she would probably count as a villain if you were coming at it from any other perspective than the protagonists or the yokai of Gensokyo. And maybe even some other yokai of Gensokyo. But as it is... For the setting of Toho, she is not a villain. For the world that Toho takes place in in general, who knows? Yeah, Yukari is like a really unpleasant person, but she's on the side of the heroes, quote-unquote. She's extremely unpleasant, but she doesn't work as a villain. And she's definitely not an anti-hero because she has no intention of, like, ever doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't say anything when Kasen tells her that she's on the side of justice instead of on your side, which is obviously implied to not be the side of justice. Like, she's fine with not being on the side of justice and doesn't think of herself that way. Yeah, she's just like, well, why aren't you not on the side of justice? As opposed to, well, I'm on the side of justice. But yeah, I think that was a good point about how we usually see it from the perspective of, like, not the victim, but someone else watching. Yeah, we see it from the perspective of somebody who she's actively helping out most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, like if you were sitting behind the curtain of the Wizard of Oz and the Wizard of Oz was going, hey, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like whereas if you were a person who just got spirited away into Gensokyo and now you are fleeing for your life from like Rumia who is T-posing very threatening. <laughs> <at> <laughs> Like, you're probably not feeling Yukari's vibes at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine being like one of the yokai that was involved in the first war with the moon. That's like kind of a background setting element, but Yukari did set that up. I feel like Yukari would definitely be a villain in a different type of work. I hate to keep referencing Discworld, but I do think that <laughs> Discworld really is like the most Toho-like work that isn't Toho. Yeah. yeah. I think this kind of makes Yukari veterinary. Mm. Yep. She's the kind of character who everyone, whenever she shows up, everyone knows that she's up to something, but they can only hope that she's up to something <laughs> that's not targeting them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the, Yukari is just kind of like, I'm the bad guy, duh. Mm-hmm. 
But she kind of just tramples all over people, and if you're not in the path of that, that could actually be beneficial towards you. Yeah, like to compare her to veterinary, like she's kind of like the tyrant of this city, and like every time she shows up, it casts like a menacing aura over everything. But, you know, she's friends with Sam Vimes, who in this case would be Remo, I guess. Remo is really Sam Vimes, isn't she? Yeah, she really is. She's got Sam Vibes. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, Yukari does have a scorpion pit in the hidden door behind her office. Like, that's kind of who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. Does that make her a villain or not? You can call her a villain if you want to. I think, like, Yukari in a vacuum is definitely a villain, but whether she is the vacuum of any given context will vary. Toho heavily stacks the setting in her favor to make her feel less villainous to an audience, even if none of her actions are really less bad. It is her world, after all. Yeah. In the case of, like, Perfect Cherry Blossom, for instance, her presence actually helps make it less villainous, the whole plot, because without her it was like an implicitly kind of potentially Gensokyo destroying incident. While with her involved, you can just go, oh, she was just helping out her girlfriend. I feel like the (laughs) fact that the setting is basically her pet project makes it a lot easier to look at her as a more of a mentor character than a villain. Since the setting is her pet project, of course, she's not going to take on the traditional role of a villain, which is usually one who brings chaos to the setting as a whole. And of course, yeah. to go back to Discworld, Vetinari is very much a mentor character with relation to Vimes, even if it's not like conventional fantasy chic how they interact. Um, you know, it's like you can trace a lot of how Sam Vimes develops as a character by how he interacts with Vetinari, and that's Raymond's interactions with Yukari are not quite on that like level because we're not privy to her internal monologue. But we're not privy to either of them's internal monologue most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like the few times that we do get you. Kari's internal monologue, it's basically incomprehensible. Have a nice day. Yeah, I do think that we can, like, looking at Reimu, sort of, you know, divine her feelings about being in service of Kari. She is very expressive, which makes it a lot easier to see how she's feeling. Yeah, and, like, the concept of Gensokyo as a whole and how she feels about her role in it as somebody who is, like, ostensibly her job is to protect people, but functionally she serves as somebody who keeps Gensokyo running Mm -hmm. and that's really her main job and occasionally you know she'll like stop a yokai in the village or whatever but she's not gonna go out of her way to like save a random person in the woods because they shouldn't have been out there in the first place or whatever yeah she only does what's like necessary for her her version of Gensokyo her job is to protect Gensokyo as a place and not Gensokyo's people. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make Reimu a cop? Yes, it does, unfortunately. Uh. But we won't focus on that and we will instead focus on... (laughs) Reimu is the true villain. We're back here again. (laughs) (laughs) No, but 
like I was going to actually bring up Reimu next in like uh like you know Reimu is kind of this arbiter of Gensokyo or like uh, Yukari's will with regards to Gensokyo and like people tend to attribute this sort of uh, like shadiness or evilness to Reimu sometimes you know this sort of ties back to the fortune teller memes where you know Reimu is portrayed as this sort of like bloodthirsty maniac she's like portrayed as creating the rules for Gensokyo herself when she fundamentally doesn't have that sort of freedom. Yeah. She does have some dialogue in that scene that wouldn't look very good when played back in an interview. Yeah, but... (laughs) 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 Miss Reimu, during this incident, you said, and I quote, I don't mind needless killing. (laughs) (laughs) Or something like that, whatever that line was. Yeah, pretty much. How do you think this will resonate with the voters? (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, it's not an elected position, but yeah. Since we brought up the, like, San Vimes, like, compression so many times, isn't he a cop too? Yes. Uh, So they're just the same kind of cop, mostly. Yeah, they're the same kind of cop in that they're trying to make a positive difference in the world, I guess, but they are sure having a time of it. Yeah, they both have this internal conflict where they're serving, like, a system and a person who is not kind to... Existence? People as a whole. Yeah, and they're basically both in service to tyrants who are, you know, they're not good people, but they themselves are, generally speaking, good people. Yeah. Despite this, and, like, you know, that's kind of where their internal struggle comes from. That really makes them lawful good in the most, like... The most D&D sense. The paladin sense. (laughs) (laughs) Rainbow is a paladin. (laughs) Rainbow is literally a cleric. Like, she's not a cop in the sense that, like, you know, a modern-day police officer is a cop. She's literally a cleric. Like, that's her whole Mm -hmm. deal. Granted, a cleric who kind of has to deal with her actions not necessarily being in service of her god, but a cleric nonetheless. I guess in this sense, like, she's de facto a cleric of Yukari, no matter how much she hates it. (laughs) She would be really mad if somebody said that to her. Yukari would be really mad if somebody said that too. I don't think she likes God. Yeah, but that's just how it works, basically. But she's not a clerk of Yukari. She's really not cut out for that. We've seen that several times. But yeah, like, Reimu is not really a villain, despite, like, all of the edgy takes on the concept. Like, she's a completely ordinary person with the flaws of an ordinary person who is stuck in an impossible situation. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously is why she's so sort of detached from everyone and, like, dissociating most of the time. Yeah, I feel like I don't mind needless killing is kind of a line that is really sad if you think about it in the context of her situation as a whole. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the, like, specifically fortune teller aside, a lot of the, like, Remu kind of villainous depictions are like a natural, if like unfortunate, reversal of of the whole setting, like dressing up most of the plots as kind of petty and harmless. Yeah. Which means that when the like villain's plot is harmless and most of the yoga are just hanging around and she shows up and then fights them, then it doesn't need to be villainous and the game usually makes the yokai at least as aggressive as she is. 
usually more so. And so it's not a stretch to make her like look kind of aggressive at least. But the whole point is that she can be aggressive because it's not that serious. Thinking about how she deals with possessed Kosuzu, she's definitely a lot more serious and less, like, angry as a whole. Yeah, Yeah, like, she's not, like, somebody who, like, enjoys doing brutality to random innocent yokai. Yeah. She doesn't mind needless killing, except she does. Curiosities of Lotus Asia, chapter one aside. (laughs) Like, she... She was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, like, that was literally just, like, a schoolyard fight. But, like, Toho is primarily a work that is sympathetic to yokai. Like, even though Reimu is, like, you know, this hero of justice or whatever, in Kasen's view, Toho itself is a story about... A world where yokai are, you know, dying out, and so they built a world for themselves where they are free from what was the line? The curse of human imagination? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, like, as a reader, that naturally, like, predisposes you to be sympathetic to the yokai. Yeah. Even if they don't necessarily act in a way that would cause you to be sympathetic to them normally, it's just the crux of the setting makes it so it's hard not to be. Yeah, Yeah, plus obviously the aesthetic, so to speak. Yeah, you do sort of root for the yokai Mm -hmm. in the sense that like, like if you're consuming Toho as a work, then you are sort of rooting for, you know, the state of affairs in Gensokyo. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not really that great of a deal for, like, you know, the humans in the setting. That wouldn't be a great deal for you, considering most of Toho's readers are human. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Aside from the listeners of this podcast, I think that Reimu being sort of tarred with this, like, jerk-ass brush... Like, this also ties hand-in-hand with, like, her depiction in Wild and Horn Hermit as this sort of, like, greedy slob from Kasan's perspective. Greedy, ineffective, kind of an asshole slob from Kasan's perspective. Because I don't think Kasan has... I don't think she's really capable of empathizing with Reimu's situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, she played a hand in creating Reimu's situation. She's one of the sages. So she probably has a vested interest in going, oh, the situation is fine. It's just the person who's the problem. Yeah, Kasen, like talks about how messed up uh, society is in Gensokyo and Yukari pops up out of the well and says, yeah, you participate in society. <laughs> you created society. Yeah. <laughs> this made me think that, like, in terms of Reimu... Is Kasen Kim Kardashian making sad tweets about climate change? No. <laughs> I was saying that she probably kind of... She wishes she could be in the, like, Yukari position of specifically, like, guiding Reimu and making her do what she wants. She doesn't think about it in, like, a cartoonishly evil way of how do I manipulate Reimu, but she would like to be able to do that. Yeah. I think she just doesn't necessarily realize that... For a position like Yukari's to exist, it's probably not going to be a good deal for the Shrine Maiden, no matter how good the mentor's intentions are. Yeah. Unless the mentor was, well, another Shrine Maiden, a previous Shrine Maiden, but they still wouldn't have the same level of influence, you know? This does kind of point to an interesting sort of hidden dynamic between Yukari and Kasen, where they're just sort of struggling for custody of Reimu. 
Yukari and Kasen courtroom drama. Yeah, she's trying to sort of guide Reimu to being this like shining avatar of justice or whatever that she believes Reimu could be, and Yukari's not having any of that. Yeah, but the mention of a custody battle just made me think about like Miko and Byakuren's thing with Kakuro. <laughs> I think they've agreed to shared custody nowadays. But like, who's the Aunt Mamizo in this concept where they're fighting each other while she just goes off with someone she likes more? Is it Marisa? Rinosuke. <laughs> yeah, it's Rinosuke. <laughs> Rinosuke is the unwilling dad. Just as a side note, I just want to mention how much I love, like, Mamiso and Kokoro's thing in... I think they've agreed to shared custody nowadays. Yeah, it, it was, like, most visible in the... Which games uh, cross-review thing was it? I think the... Ten Desires. Yeah, the Ten yeah, Desires cross-review. I think that... Kokoro judged Yoshika as fun. <laughs> <laughs> she's just having a good time. Yoshika yeah. came out here to attack people and she's having such a good time right now. Mamiso reminds me that there are these like short moments of Yokai trying to act villainous, usually from like a villager's or Kosizu's point of view. And I think that that's definitely differentiated from yokai just causing problems on purpose because they cause problems on purpose because Mamiso does both of those things. Yeah, yeah. that's just sort of part of the kayfabe of Gensokyo where like yeah. you sign an agreement to become a resident of Gensokyo and part of the agreement is act like a total nerd half the time. Yeah, you have to join the Gensokyo Yokai Theater Society. <laughs> Yeah, and obviously Mamizo has some, like, potential as a, like, villain character in terms of her, like, abilities and, more broadly speaking, abilities as a, like, manipulator and leader and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But in the end, she's more of just a dork, like everyone else. She is a very folkloric Tanuki. <laughs> yeah, she's a trickster type. She's very ambitious and she has designs upon Gensakyo, but she's not doing evil things to achieve those goals. She doesn't have yeah. a nasty bone in her body, but she still is a yokai. Yeah. Does she have any bones in her body? Do yokai have bones? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think she's a tanuki, so she's like... I think beast yokai probably have more defined like physical bodies than others. That pig in Lotus Eaters had a skeleton. Oh, that's probably true. She probably has a bone in her body then. Just one bone. <laughs> Just one bone. The funny bone. <laughs> That's why she's like this. Funny Tanuki drink a Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I think the other villains in Toho are, like, Remilia and Utsuho, who are just kind of, like, you know, stock characters who are, like, there's nothing complex to their villainy. They're just like, you know, ooh, I'm a scary vampire in a castle, and are you afraid of me? And Raymond and Marisa are just like, no. Yeah, and, and because of that, even though their, like, plots were poten potentially really harmful, yeah. they end up being played as just, you know, kind of a joke, which they are. <laughs> yeah, aside from that... 
like I guess we haven't actually we pointedly earlier avoided talking about Okina, but we've talked about the other sages. I guess we gotta mention her. Yeah, the, like the other sages have both had like sort of you know villainous energy, and maybe they're not good people, but they're not really villains. I feel like Okina is definitely a good person, but she's a villain. If she's going to be causing big actions, she's gonna be causing upheaval. But she's definitely overall. A decent person. She's got weird-ish morals, but, like, she has no intention of, like, holding Satono and Mai in eternal servitude or something like that. Most of the stuff that tries to paint her as, like, villainous or evil, sometimes really cartoonishly, so does focus on, like, Satono and Mai. Yeah, she just kind of scooped out their earlier personalities, supposedly. Lore-wise, she could put them back, and she was at least... (laughs) Somewhat attempting to do so as a side project to hmm. notice Miyukari Senpai. <laughs> she kept them in a the freezer. Yeah, like, I mean, part of Hidden Star in Four Seasons was literally her just like posting wanted ads to be the new Maya and Satono. Yeah. I do like that, like, her personality is very megalomaniacal. I feel like she's like, oh, it's fine if you think I'm a villain, but I'm still going to not cause problems on purpose of the three sages she's definitely the one most prone to like doing an evil monologue but then it's like not it's an evil monologue about the fact that she is like going to crash your party and that she's the best (laughs) the best and the strongest and the coolest I mean, she's very used to, like, playing with people's perceptions and being viewed in different ways. Yeah, so I feel like she's just like, well, this is the sort of place where it's better to be perceived as a villain than as a hero, so I guess I'll just megalomania. Not megalomania! (laughs) 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 But I mean... Uh. Obviously, she's one of the people making in Tokyo, but there might be some of that, you know, like when in Rome effect. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just how gods and yoga are supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, she's definitely very full of herself because she's a god and that's just how gods are, like, if Kanako is any indication. I feel like her being a god of the downtrodden and those discriminated against makes an interesting commentary in that, well, we're constantly perceived as villains, so why shouldn't I just be allowed to act that way? Yeah, she fully embraces the... But not in the bad way of, fine, I'll become a villain if you treat me badly. In the more interesting way of, oh, fine, I'll just put on my evil monologue about how I'm cool and how you suck, and then I'm going to go make some sweet potatoes. You want some sweet potatoes? (laughs) Yeah, like she just kind of accepts the brush that she is painted with, but then she doesn't fulfill the expectations of it, but she does like take on the image and she's fine mm-hmm. with that. Hmm. I mean, aside from the characters we've already talked about... I think we've kind of skipped Sagume. We did sort of skip Sagume. Sagume is Sagume. She's a very like technocratic villain. Yeah. Like, in the sense that she just goes, well, this is necessary for us, so I'm not really passionate about doing this, but I'm not really sad either, so off you go. This is how it is, so this is how it is. It's interesting to me that Sagome is, like, you know, she is a villainous figure in Toho, Mm -hmm. but she's essentially doing the same thing that, like, Yukari is, just Mm -hmm. for the sake of the moon instead of Gensokyo. 
Yeah, because it's not like Gensoku is harmless to those outside of it. Right. Yeah. Or even to those inside of it sometimes. It accepts everyone, but they might, you know, become food. Yeah, that might be the reason Yukar is actually kind of chill about the whole moon incident. Yeah, I feel like her whole thing with the moon is, haha, aren't they funny? They're gods who think they're any better than us. Anyway, I'm just going to steal some sake and laugh about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yukar can definitely appreciate the irony. Yeah, I feel like... She, anything she cares about it as more of a funny coincidence rather than an actual rivalry or anything. I mean, yeah. I think Yukari probably views it in this sort of sense of sort of pragmatic competition, I guess. The first Lunar War is anything to go by. It's just like, well, let's see how far we can go with this. <laughs> Yukari's probably kind of... Confident, less complacent about the people of Gensokyo being able to handle incidents that you can beat up. Yeah, I feel like she's just like, well, I have built this place so it can take what's thrown at it, basically. She just p- closes the storm windows on the house and then goes to sleep in the middle of the hurricane. Something like the moon invasion is actually easier to solve than Jonas Xian's, like, a stupid little, like, money-making scheme. Joan and Xi'an is basically the only time we see her get actually annoyed at something. Yeah, because their scheme involves like a rules exploit mm-hmm. that she can't figure out how to fix. Mm-hmm. She has to jump through her own self-made loopholes. While in the end the moon incident is just fly in there and kick their asses. She just points Raymu at it and it goes away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like definitely a function of the Shrine Maiden besides keep the balance of Gensokyo and all is just, well, I can point it at my problems and make them go away. Yeah. Do we want to talk about PC-98 villains? I don't have anything to say about them, to be honest. There's not all that much to say about them because either they're sort of like completely dialogueless, like evil beings from Hell or Makai or whatever. I think the only villain in the PC-98 games really is Yumemi. There's Mima, but she's really more... She's a much smaller scale bastard. You could make her a villain if you wanted, but she's really kind of like... She's far too petty to be a villain. I think I will cause problems on purpose and then flirt with the entire population of Makai. <laughs> My limited impression is that the PC-98 games go like even further to emphasize the like goofiness of the whole thing. They definitely make it seem goofy, but it's, def- but it's not necessarily low stakes. It's like, yes, this is ridiculous. Yes, there is an entire town on fire behind you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe the only like villains in PC-98 Toho that get played straight are Sariel and Kongara, who are just, you know, the big scary final bosses of their respective routes in Toho 1. Mm-hmm. And there's not any lore about their motivation or anything because they're just they're just a JPEG of a thing that you got to beat up to win the game. I feel like Yumemi <laughs> is kind of like a sympathetic villain because she does make an actual attempt to do like Sumiriko after her and literally attempts to nuke Gensokyo because (laughs) she has had a rough time of it. She's had a very bad day. I feel like Urban Legend in Limbo in a lot of ways is Phantasmagoria of Dem Dream 2. Hmm. I kind of agree and like I never thought about it that way before but 
I think you're kind of right. There's a daisies. Except Yumemi's an adult and she should know better. Yeah, this might be worth talking about on a future episode. Yeah. I do want to cap this off by looking at Shinki and Yuka real quick. Mm. And I don't think, like, Yuka's not really anything. Like, she's just, like, this horrible, scary lady who has a bunch of, like, hidden lore about how she's, like, a monstrous yokai or whatever. But, like, they literally broke into her house and she's just like, get out. She's just chilling and being a bastard. She's not actually causing problems for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yuka isn't a morally good person, but she isn't even... She wouldn't count as a villain even in any other work, unlike like Yukari. She's yeah. just like, well, if you come into my house, then you can just absolutely fuck off and be vaporized. Not that I'm actually going to vaporize you, it's a joke. There's something kind of mythological about Yuka as a character if you think about it. Yeah, she feels like the archetypal... She feels like uh, Scylla and Charybdis in, like, uh, Greek mythology. Big-time monster, but not, like, yeah. no hero has ever fought them. They're just there. Yeah, and no hero ever will fight them. It's just, like, just avoid it. There's, like, the background context that tells you that she's supposed to be kind of broadly villainous. But in the end, what happens in the actual story is just the heroes broke in breaking into her house. So in the context of the story in a vacuum, she's not really doing anything. Yeah, and she's just like, dude, you woke me up in the middle of the night, come on. Yeah, she used to be a big scary monster, but now she's just vibing. Yeah, now she's just vibing and having her little flower garden and sometimes living in the dream world. Yeah, Shinki is like a purely sympathetic character, I think. Like, she's not even a villain. The only thing that Shinki did wrong was not let Yukari know the tourism was happening. Like, I'm sure that Gensuke would have been fine with the tourism if they'd just known it was happening, but they didn't, so it was just big misunderstandings. Yeah, PC90 is definitely a lot more, like, lighthearted with regards to the actual, like, final boss encounters. It's a lot more lighthearted in regards to you conflict resolution i feel yeah Mm -hmm. even though it was the era of like murder or whatever before the spell card (laughs) rules um yeah Mm. it is the era where a stage one boss just gets sealed into a rock and never appears again but it's like (laughs) it still played a lot more lightheartedly than even normal spell card rules yokai extermination in the modern day yeah i mean my totally like pc98 ignorant ass is gonna Act like it was it was pre spell card rules, but everyone is going was still just chilling because Remu is a baby. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the only reason that say that Orange got sealed is because she flat out threatened to kill Remu, while everybody else is just like, okay, let's chill. I'm gonna fight you, but <laughs> don't please try not to get too hurt here, okay? What's with this sassy lost child? Um, Even Mima, who specifically hates the Hakurei, is just like, I am specifically not going to kill you. I'm just going to troll you. Please don't cause problems for yourself on purpose, child. (laughs) Is that the phrase of the day? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess this is the villain episode. This episode is girls causing problems on purpose. (laughs) Well, I think that just about does it for this episode. Um, By the way, are we going to start doing mailbags like in, only in mailbag episodes or something? Because we haven't done one in a few. Oh, we should. Pr- do we have any mailbags? 
We have so many mailbags and we have Yeah, we had a we had a bunch left over and then we've been getting more. We should probably then just start doing mailbag episodes then. Yeah, I think we might end up doing that cuz like we do tend to spend basically like over an hour talking about the topic and we don't really give ourselves time to do cuz a yeah, mailbag question be- can get upwards of like 10 15 minutes Mm -hmm. of discussion yeah it's kind of hard to leave that slot at the end of the episode yeah yeah we'll figure it out later i mean we're gonna need topics anyway so yeah and the mailbag episode was great fun so Mm -hmm. yeah it was and we conspicuously avoided talking about byakar and miko in this episode but like even though they they don't do shit They do have like auras of like <laughs> megalomania, but they're not really, you know, evil people. Did so it? <laughs> we, we're going to explore them more thoroughly um, in the future. Yeah. That's basically our feelings on them. I feel like they don't really fit in a villain's episode, considering they don't even cause problems on accident. They're just there. Yeah, despite the absolutely radioactive um, topic that is Byakura and morality discourse. <laughs> Like, she's, she's, she's just not a villain. Like, whatever you think about her, like, motivations or methods, she doesn't end up doing anything. Yakarin has dumb baby syndrome, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, so look forward to us unpacking those two at some point in the future. Perhaps in the symposium episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's gonna be a tough one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's gonna be a tough one to fit in a normal recording session yeah Yeah. that might be a long one i mean easy for me to say (laughs) (laughs) well we'll we'll see how it goes Mm. i'm sure it'll be fun yeah but yeah i think that's the show for the week thanks for listening everyone this has been outside world cultism and see you next week i guess bye bye bye